Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to talk to you today for just a few moments on a message entitled Simple Salvation. Simple Salvation. Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to gather together in your name and to worship you today. Thank you, Lord, for those that you have gathered together around your word. I pray that you'd help me to be able to effectively communicate today what Holy Spirit would be saying to the church. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3 in the English Standard Version, the Bible says this, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve... Through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The Lord really put on my heart earlier this week to talk with you about the fact that giving our life to Jesus is not difficult. And I think that this is a great message for those that don't know Christ, but it's also Uh, great for those of us that have known the Lord for so many years because it's going to help us understand that every single person in this place can become a soul winner. Every one of us have the ability to share Christ with lost people. And so in the book of 2 Corinthians here, chapter 11 and verse number 3, it says uh, that our minds should, should be corrupted, that, that the enemy would not corrupt our minds from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now before we really get going on this message, I just want to kind of talk about a few phrases that we use in, in Christendom today, I guess you might call it, as a Christian. So many times you, or we hear the term, win the lost. Now, stop and think about that. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you don't know anything about Jesus, if you don't know any, then the term win the lost is one of those terms that would be like, oh, well, whatever, and it just goes in one ear and it goes out the other. What does it really mean when we say the Lord has called us to win the lost or to win lost people? What does that mean? Lost from what? Well, I like to put it like this. Obviously, lost from a life without God, but... But there are many people today who are lost and they're in despair and they're in despondency and they have no hope for the future. And so when we talk about winning them, we're talking about winning them over from a life of despondency, a life of despair, a life without God. Here's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say this, Satan comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus has come that we might have abundant life. And it's really that simple. Now, many times we find fault with ministers who don't get up and preach like John the Baptist preached. John the Baptist got up and he preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that was a great message. And that, but the thing is, is that was John's message to the people of his day. Who was John preaching to? First of all, John was preaching to the Jews. And when he was crying out, Repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did you know that the term repent does not mean bawl and squall and cry and feel bad about yourself? And repent simply means to turn. That's what repent means. 
And so when John the Baptist was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he was telling them was, you've been involved in the law, but there comes one after me who is preferred before me, whose shoe latch, who is mightier than I, whose shoe latches I am not worthy to undo. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's scripture. And then he goes on, he says, whose fan is in his hand? And, he, and, and so what he was saying was, I want you to turn from the law to grace. And so we've got people that get up today and they preach hellfire and brimstone messages and, and all of this. Do you find any place in the scripture? Now, I'm, I'm just, now this is going to challenge our theology a little bit this morning because I want us to understand that we have complicated, the church today has complicated the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we do it because the Bible said that if we deny people before men, he'll deny us before his Father, which is in heaven. But do you, do you find any place in the Scripture where Jesus ever gave an altar call? I mean, any place in Scripture where he says, okay, let's all stand up, play just as I am. Those of you feel God tugging on your heart, I want you to come forward. I want you to kneel right here. I want you to get... No, listen. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I just want us to understand that giving our life to Jesus is a simple process. There's no place in the Scripture where the Bible says that you have to do that. Here's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. That's what it says. And so I think the Apostle Paul was right on beam when he was writing to the Corinthian church here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3 when he said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be com com corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so what he was saying was don't make it difficult, don't make it hard for people to accept Christ. Now this uh, puts us to Romans chapter 1 verses 16 through 17. Here's what the word says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's the gospel that is the power of God. And then it goes on, verse number 17, it says, For therein, therein what? Therein, for in the gospel. Gospel is good news. In the gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So what does that mean when it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith? When he said, for therein, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, he's talking about from the law to grace. You see that? From the faith that you had in the law to the faith that you now have in the grace of God. And so he goes on and he says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, or the justified shall live by faith. See, here's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. It's the gospel of God unto salvation. So that means that it compels us to turn. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to turn towards God. And so when we hear about God's love, when we hear about God's favor, when we hear about God's grace, all of these things, it compels us to turn towards God. In Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Now, I want you, I want, let's, let's read that real quick here. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee or leads men to repentance. Now, listen. It's the goodness of God that draws people to him. It's not the madness of God. It's not the anger of God. 
it's not the disapproval of God. It's not the condemnation of God. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. When I was growing up, we used to say it like this. You're going to catch a whole lot more flies with honey than you are with... Starts with an S and ends with a T. That's what we heard all the time when we were growing up. And you'll catch some flies that way too. But you're going to catch a whole lot more flies you are with honey. And it's the same way it is with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we share God's love, when we share God's favor, when we share the goodness of God with lost humanity, then all of a sudden the hopeless begin to hope again. Those that are in despondency start saying, you know what? Maybe there is something to this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe if I allow Jesus to come into my heart and allow him to be the Lord of my life, then maybe things will change for me too. And I'll start hoping again and I'll start having peace again and I'll start experiencing joy again and and I'll start uh, loving people again. Maybe if I allow that to happen. So it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. It's not the madness of God. It's not the disapproval of God. It's not the condemnation of God. It's not the anger of God. Those are not the things that draws men to repentance. Here's what the Word says. John 3 and verse 16, the Bible said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So my message to you today is simple salvation. Number one, accepting Jesus is not hard. Accepting Jesus is not hard. Well, when we talk about accepting Jesus, what are we talking about? Well, the Bible likens it to number one, opening a door. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20, the scriptures say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, any man, will open the door... And let me come in. I will sit down and eat with them. I will sup with them and them with me. So we open the door to Christ. He doesn't kick down the door. He doesn't impose himself upon us. He doesn't force us to live for him. He doesn't create scenarios in our life where it'll say, you know what, I better start living for God because if I don't, God's going to get me. That's not the kind of God that we serve. It's not the kind of God that we serve at all. We open the door. And when we open the door, we open the door to His forgiveness. We open the door to His mercy. We open the door to His grace. And then He said, I'm going to come in. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat with you. In other words, I'm going to have communion with you. So I'm going to enter into a relationship with you where you speak and I listen and I speak and you hear. That's what He's talking about. Revelation 3.20, open the door, not just for me to come in, but you open the door through your faith, open the door into a place where you and I can enter into a full relationship. And so I think when we're talking to people about giving their life to Jesus Christ, I think it's very important for us to get the point across to them that God is not going to superimpose himself upon you. God is not going to force you to do something that you do not want to do. God is a gentleman, but he's asking you to open the door. And if you open the door, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made in your life because you can literally come into a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where he can become your Lord 
Lord and you can become a son of God and an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Relationship. So Jesus said just open the door. And then another place in scripture, I'm talking about simple salvation. He's talking about when you receive Christ, it's like receiving a drink of water. John chapter 4 and verse number 14 says, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now let me put it like this. God wants you to open the door to him because he wants to put a well in you. God wants to put a well of life in you, a well of life in you. And then in Revelation 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that hears say, come and him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Come on, I want you to touch your neighbor right now and tell him, say, you're a whosoever. <laughs> now you can look at him and say, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> you're a whosoever. Now, if the scriptures say here in Revelation 22, 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. If the Bible says whosoever, then it means whosoever. Right? It means whosoever. So that means it doesn't matter what nationality, what creed, what culture. It doesn't matter whether I'm tall, whether I'm short, whether I'm skinny or well-fed. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the kind of friends that I have, the kind of friends that I don't have. It doesn't matter if I'm a recluse or if I'm crowded with people all of the time. When it comes to us and God, it's just you and God. See, God doesn't see you as part of a mass of people. God sees you as his child. And when, here's the thing. Listen, I can look around this room today and I don't see any of them because they're all in different parts of the ministry working today in the building. But I can look around and I see every one of you and I love every single one of you. I mean, you're wonderful, you're great. Some of you, I'm still learning your names. But I, I do, I love Lakewood. But there's something different when my child walks in the room. I can identify that child. I have a daughter-in-law right here on the front row. I love you guys, but don't come between me and my daughter-in-law. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's a family relationship. And I'm, I'm not saying that as a threat or anything. I'm saying it to get the point across. That's how God feels about you. Here's how God feels about you. That's my son, devil. That's my daughter. Don't you dare try to get between us. They belong to me. My blood has been applied to their heart and into their life. Why? Because we drank of the water of life freely. We just received everything that Calvary paid for. And then in Luke chapter 15, and we don't have time to get through all of this, but in Luke chapter 15, giving our life to Jesus is compared to the prodigal coming home. You know, the big story here is the love of the father. It's not the prodigal son. I mean, the father had lost everything. Their status in society had been diminished. 
Back then, they didn't carry currency like we do. No, their currency was in lands and flocks and all of this. And when the prodigal son came to him and said, Give to me everything that belongs to me, that father who had great standing in that community because he had one other son had to diminish his holdings by between a third and a half. And so his standing in the community went down. But he loved his son more than he loved himself. And then after all of that pain and after all of that sorrow and after all of those things, the father was still saw, saw, they, they still saw him standing there at the end of the day, watching the road, waiting for the promise to come down the dusty road. I remember that song. Hallelujah. There's a promise coming down the dusty road. And then... Simple salvation. It's likened in Scripture to accepting an invitation from God. Matthew eleven twenty three. 23. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse number 29 says this, And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I've taught it to those of you that have been here for a long time, but it's been a while, so I'll just touch on it a little bit. When Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he was talking about his teachings. See, Jesus was a fifth level rabbi. And so when he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then he said, and take my yoke upon you. And then he says, and learn of me and because he says and learn of me that's why I know that he was talking about his teachings and then he goes on and he said for my yoke or my teachings are easy and my burden is light so what he was saying once again is what the apostle Paul was saying is in Corinthians is my teachings are not hard to understand they're simple they're easy to understand there's another place in Scripture where the Bible says that if we're not careful, we will frustrate the grace of God. And I think it's frustrating to God and it's frustrating to the sacrifice of Calvary when we complicate the message of the gospel to the point where people feel like that they have to have a college diploma before they can understand what it means to be saved. No, you don't have to have that. All you need to understand what it means to be saved is the Bible, God's holy word. God's holy word, that's all we need to understand what it means to be saved. So we go on in the scripture. And there's biblical examples of salvation. It's all through the scripture. I don't have a lot of time this morning to really go all the way through a whole lot of this. But the biblical examples of salvation, Acts 16, 29 through 31. The Philippian jailer comes into Paul and Silas and he says, what must I do to be saved? And do you think that Paul and Silas said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to kneel down and you need to flog yourself and you need to cry out and you need to repent and you need to bawl and you need to squall. No, 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 no. What did he say? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. What a promise. What a promise. So it wasn't this great big long list of things that you have to do to give your life to Jesus Christ. No, no, no. He said, all that I require of you is to believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. In Acts chapter 9, we found that, find the conversion of Saul when his name was turned to Paul. Saul is walking down the road thinking he's pleasing the Lord, persecuting the church, killing Christians, and he's going along down through there. And all of a sudden, the Bible said that a light came out of heaven and struck him to the earth. He didn't fall off his horse. He didn't fall off his camel. It's not there. Read it. 
Acts chapter 9, the Bible said, struck him to the earth. And the Bible said that those that were around him heard a voice but saw no man. And this bright light came out of heaven, struck him to the earth and said, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? And here's what the apostle Paul said. His name was Saul at the time. He said, who art thou Lord? Conversion. He called on the name of the Lord and was converted. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And it was, and because what happened there, he accepted Jesus because he was, he needed to be converted from what he was doing. He needed to change his mindset. He needed to have a different mentality. He needed to turn and go in a different way. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And here's what Jesus said He said, I am. Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Then he tells him to go on down to town and go to a street called Straight. And he was blind because of the light. And the Bible said, then God began to speak to Ananias and said, I want you to go down there and pray for Saul. And Ananias said, the one that's been threatening and persecuting the church? And he said, yes, I have touched him. I have changed him. He has accepted me into his heart and his life. And you need to go down there and pray for him. So Ananias, probably somewhat trepidatious, still went down there. He prayed for him. And the Bible said that the scales fell from his eyes. And he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible said that it started going throughout the church that God had converted Paul or Saul and turned his name into Paul. So then we go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 through 9. And here's what the scriptures tell us. The Bible tells us that we are saved by faith through grace. That's how we get saved. By faith through grace. Simple salvation. By faith, through grace. Come on, look at your neighbor right now and say, By faith, through grace. That's how you get saved. That's how we get saved. That's how we give our life to Jesus. That's how we allow God to invade our heart and to invade our life and to live big inside of us. It is by grace, through faith. Now listen, salvation is God's gift to lost humanity. It's His greatest gift. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Word of God teaches us here, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we find out that it is a confession, it's a words issue, and it's a heart issue. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we can be saved. Now, where in that does it say you have to go to church, you have to wait for amazing grace, you have to walk down the aisle, you have to kneel at the altar, you have to cry crocodile tears of repentance, you have to wail, all of these kinds of things. Now, sometimes it's a very emotional experience and it happens with some people and that's fine. That's fine. But where in that passage of scripture does it say we have to do that? It doesn't say, does it? It doesn't say that, does it? And I think what has happened through the years, we have so complicated the gospel message that it has become very difficult for people to understand, I can really just give my life to Jesus by believing in Him. 
By believing that he's the son of God, by believing that he was... See, when they came and gave him gifts, they gave him gifts for a prophet, a priest, and a king. Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a priest, and Jesus was king of kings and lord of lords. Still is. Still is. And so, if we don't watch it, we frustrate the grace of God. We remove ourselves from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. We complicate coming to Jesus. Let me tell you something. Somebody says, well, that's just Western doctrine. This book that I hold in my hand right here is not a Western book. It's not a Middle Eastern book. It is God's love letter to the world. This is a global gospel. That means global good news. Good God's good news to the entire world. And to the entire world, he is saying, you can be saved by faith through grace. By faith through grace. It doesn't matter where you are. Now, then the Bible says in verse number 13, whoever calls on his name will be saved. So, What are my responsibilities? What are your responsibilities? What are all of our responsibilities in all of this when we give our life to Christ? Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says this, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And then it goes on later in that passage, and it says, because God is working in you. So when we read that passage of Scripture, and it says, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling... There's a lot of us that say, okay, but how? I understand that I need to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's wonderful and that's great. And when it says fear, what does that mean? And when it says trembling, what does that mean? It just simply means with a holy reverence and a holy respect for God and His Word. And, and then it goes on and says, but how, how, do, how do we do that? It goes on and it says, God is working in you. So first of all, we have to let God work in us. Number one, we have to do what I was talking about earlier today. We have to allow Jesus to come through the door. No one can go through that door for us. Jesus said that he was the door. That's what he said. In John chapter 10 and verse number 9, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now I want to encourage you to not overthink this verse. Don't overthink this verse. It basically means that I can't live your life for you and you can't live your life for me. Jesus says, I am the door. If any man enters in, I can't go in for you and you can't go in for me. He shall be saved. I can't go in and get your salvation for you. You have to go in and make that decision that I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to allow Jesus to come in and be the Lord of my life. And so you have to go through the door. No one else can do it for you. If you could do it for, if if I could do it for you, every single one of you would have absolutely nothing to worry about. We would all be just, man, we'd be in heaven. We'd be walking in tall cotton. We'd be having a a great time, wouldn't we? But I can't, but I can't. I can encourage you, I can guide you, I can lead you, I can teach you the Word of God, I can preach to you like I am this morning, I can can try to help you, I can pray for you, I can fast for you, all kinds of things to try to help you, but when it comes right down to it, you have to make that choice. 
You have to make that choice. And so you have to go through the door. And then the second thing is, what is my responsibility? I have to choose life or death. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20, it says this. It says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Now, I love this because it goes right along with what Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer. Here's what it says. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he, God, is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So when it talks about choosing life or death, that means we have to choose life or death. So not only do we need to be the ones that go through the door, not only do we need to be the ones that make that choice, but when we really get down to it, we need to realize that the decision that we are making to give our life to Jesus Christ, whether we're going to believe in God or whether we're not, is as, as contrasting as life or death. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23? It says, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you have both of those choices in that passage of Scripture. Sin brings death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you have death and you have life in that passage of Scripture, Romans 6, 23. And every single one of us need to choose either death or life. When we're talking to people about giving their life to Jesus, which is what we should be doing all of the time, when we're talking to people about giving their life to Jesus, we need to understand that we're not trying to ask them to come to our church. We're dealing with something that is more important than whether or not they're going to come and sit with me in church. We're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with eternal things. And if I can get that point across to you today, I will have achieved my goal. It's important for us to understand that we're dealing with things that bring life and things that end in death. So when we talk to people about giving their life to Jesus, we're giving them the opportunity to go to heaven or to go to hell. To experience life or to end in death. It really is that simple. And in the middle of that, you have life and you have death. And in the middle of it, you have that word, believe. Just believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. So the last thing about our responsibilities, what should we do? We have to go through the door ourselves. When we get through the door, we have to choose life or choose death. And then, and that's whether we choose to believe in Jesus or not. And then the third thing is we need to choose a place to be taught and trained as a disciple, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is the dissemination of information 
Training is when you take that information and you put it to practice and you have people around you where if you mess up, they're not going to condemn you and criticize you. They're going to help you get back up on your feet and go on. So you're learning how to live out the principles of God's Word. So when we talk about the teaching people to be disciples, then we're teaching them what we ought to do. When we talk about training people to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're literally taking them by the hand and we're walking with them through their Christian walk and their Christian faith. And when they stumble or fall, we try to raise them up. And God forbid, if we were to stumble and fall, then they would try to help and raise us up also. So our responsibility is not only to give our life to Christ. When we give our life to Christ and we believe that he's the son of God that came and died on Calvary for our sins and he died and three days later rose again and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercession for you and I and will return someday. That's the message of the gospel in a nutshell. When we believe that, then what we have to do is we then have to find a place where we can give ourselves to spiritual leadership and to spiritual training and they can actually teach us what the Word of God says and then release us to make those mistakes and lovingly pick us up when we make mistakes. So how do I do that? You find a house of worship to commit to. You say, you know what? I'm going to be committed here. I'm not going to bounce from one place to the next because things don't go my way here, so I'm going to leave. I don't like the way this preacher preaches anymore. I've been here for three or four years and I've just learned everything that I can. It it always amused me when people would say, you know, I think I've learned everything that I can from you. I think I'm going to go to the next one. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, not me. I mean, I, I allow the Holy Spirit to use me, but the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And if you've learned all that you can, it's not my, it's a spiritual problem on your end, not mine. Can I be real bold and real frank? Maybe I didn't quit teaching. Maybe you quit listening. Oh, praise God. I love you. (laughs) But our responsibility is to find a good church and commit there and then to learn God's word and put it into practice every single day of our life. So the point that I'm making here today to us in this simple message on simple salvation is we have to believe. We just have to believe. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to believe that he's who he says he is. We have to believe that he's done what he says he could. And I I say this sometimes and it kind of bends people's minds a little bit, but it's true. Did you know that Jesus has already done everything for you that he's going to do? He's made everything available He's made everything available to you that you need through his sacrifice on the cross. All we have to do now is reach into that bank of things that he has available by faith and receive what he's made available. The scriptures tell us here in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around for just a few moments, The scriptures tell us, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And church, that just simply means that there's absolutely nothing that you can do that Jesus will not forgive you for. There's one sin in the Bible that says that there is no forgiveness. And that's the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
And none of you have done that or you wouldn't even be here. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is basically attributing to God or to the enemy the things that God has done. So don't you worry about that. When the Bible said where sin abounded, grace does much more abound than what it's saying is it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you come from, what kind of a background you come from. Somehow, some way, right here, right now, at this very instant, you ended up in a place where you were hearing a message about Jesus. Your life led you to this moment. God led you to this moment. And if you need to give your life to Jesus today, I just want to pray a simple prayer with you. And you can repeat these words or say them in your own words. God wants you to be real with him. Just say them in your own words. And if you need to allow him into your life, you can say some version of what I'm getting ready to say to you. Jesus will come in to your heart and into your life. Just say it like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. I believe that you came to this earth and you died for me. And now I receive you as my Savior. And as my Lord, you are God's son, prophet, priest, king. You're my guide. And I receive you now. And I confess you as the director of my life, as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I want you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a few moments. And I just feel the direction of the Holy Spirit to pray for those of you that are Christians. Many of you have been serving the Lord for so many years. God has been inside of you. He's wanted to live big in you. He's tried to live through you and minister through you. And I just want to pray for you right now that God would raise awareness inside of you of his presence and that you would hear him more clearly that when people come Father God right now in the name of Jesus Lord when people come across our paths that don't know you as the Lord and our Savior and their Savior Father I pray that you would give us the spiritual guidance and and discernment Father to know what to say and when to say it Father, that we may be lights in this world. Lights of your love, lights of hope, lights of peace. Father, I thank you that you died on Calvary to cleanse us of all of our sin. Thank you that the blood of Jesus cleansed us and cleanses us, continues to cleanse us from all of our sins. I thank you for that, Father. And Father, now I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes and help us to become more aware of the God who lives inside of us, that he would live through us. Father, that we would be able to minister hope to this world that's around us, we pray. God, we give you praise. 
We give you honor. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number for Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.